The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. The greatest mountain climber in American history is a guy by the name of Ed Viesters. And he's kind of undisputedly the greatest climber in American history. And to, help, to tell you why, I've got to describe something that they talk about in mountain climbing across the world. There's a certain number of mountains that are over 8,000 meters tall. They're the tallest mountains in the world. And there's a collection of these mountains. There's 14 of them. There's 14 mountains across the world that are taller than 8,000 meters. They call them the 8,000ers. And to climb one of these mountains is an incredible feat because if you're climbing up, like take Mount Everest is, is obviously in that, is one of the 8,000ers. And if you're imagining climbing up to that altitude, uh, it, it's treacherous. You're not just dealing with what if you fall, what if there's a, the ice crumbles underneath you, or what if there's an avalanche. One of the things is just the altitude itself as you're climbing up there. To kind of get a picture of this, I want you to imagine the last time that you're on an airplane and the pilot comes over and says, we're now cruising at 30,000 feet. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. So if you're thinking about climbing an 8,000er, you're climbing up where airplanes cruise. So you can imagine the, with, at that altitude, the oxygen is very thin. You, you actually have to take um, uh, oxygen to supplement an oxygen tank as you're climbing up there. It's, it takes a, a lot of technical skill. And so not many people can climb an 8,000er. Well, Ed Viesters is the only American in history to climb all 14 8,000ers. There's only a little over 30 people in history that have done that. And Ed Viesters is the only American to have ever climbed all 14, including Everest, K2, and all the other 12 8,000ers. But here's what's even crazier. He's the fifth person in history to do it without supplemental oxygen. He took no oxygen tank with him. It was just him on the mountain. This is an incredible, incredible mountain climber. Now he lives over on the West Coast and he still guides people up uh, mountains and he does a lot of speaking. He's done some writing, you can imagine. He's got a lot of very inspiring stories. He's very motivational. And one of the incredible stories he talks about is uh, of, that it took him multiple tries to get up Mount Everest. In fact, one time that he was unsuccessful, he had climbed all the way up within 300 feet of the summit. I mean, that's like the length of a football field. He could see the top, but because of the conditions, he had to turn back and go back down the mountain. He knew that if he had gotten to the top, he might make it, but he would probably die on the way back down. So he had to turn back around and come again another day. So he tells the story about the, the final day on one of the expeditions where he made it to the top of Everest for the first time, that final day, he had to really, I mean, you can imagine the kind of inner fortitude it takes to push through and get to the top of one of those incredible mountains. And he describes what it took to get to the top of that mountain. I want you to see this video and I want you to listen to what he says, what he had to do to push himself to get to the top. Check out this video. Finally in 1990, I went back 
to Everest for the third time. We climbed here along the Mallory route, along the North uh, Ridge. And on my final summit day, I was alone for the majority of the day. And so for 12 hours on that day, I had to will myself up that mountain. And it becomes very difficult, especially without supplemental oxygen. You're getting above 28,000 feet. You're going slower and slower and slower. And each step gets harder and harder and harder. And without anybody there to, to motivate me or to help me or help kick the steps, I had to decide that you know this is something that I want to do for me. Uh, and even though your head's aching, your lungs are screaming, your, your legs are tired, you know, you got snot frozen on your face, you have to say, yeah, this is pretty cool stuff. You know? And it's the people that kind of persevere through that and do it for themselves. You know, when you get to the top, there's no pot of gold. That's what you have to do and push yourself beyond what you think you can do. And lo and behold, I got to the top of Everest on my third try. It's an interesting story, and he is a, a, such an impressive individual and obviously very driven. He's got an incredible inner drive and inner fortitude. And I want you to hear what he says pushed him to the top because it, it's very similar to what we hear in a lot of modern motivational speaking, inspiring, inspire, people who inspire people to push through. I want you to notice what he said. He said, I had to, he like, talks about it, I have to dig in. And I had to remind myself that I was doing this for myself. He said, I had to remind myself, no, I want this. And that's how he pushed himself through. And, and this is what you hear a lot of motivational speaking will say. You hear, look, you got to dig down. you got to find the power within. You've got to remind yourself, man, this is what I want. you got to keep that goal in front of you. Maybe you actually tangibly have that goal in front of you, so you keep looking at that. You keep reminding, that's why I'm doing this. Even when the, when the going gets hard, man, I'm going to go back and say, no, I want this. Look at that goal. Maybe it's someone who says that they're saying, you know what? Visualize success. Visualize yourself when it's hard. Visualize getting to the top. And this is right along the lines of a lot of modern motivational speaking. You see a great example of that. And, and there's nothing against that. There, there can be a lot in that that motivates. But I want you to hear what another leader, a guy named Nehemiah, what he says in the midst of difficulty and discouragement. Because his take, what he goes to, to push through discouragement is completely different. And here's what I'd argue. I think we're going to see in this text that it's actually even more powerful. Another way to dig in in the midst of discouragement. You may be here this morning and there's something that you are setting out to do. You have a mountain that you're trying to climb, you're trying to scale, you're trying to summit something. You have a goal Maybe just started a new job or you started a, uh, something new. You have a new goal, a personal goal, a spiritual goal, a financial goal. You've got something and you're facing discouragement and you're trying to figure out how am I going to push through in this season. You have to hear what this leader Nehemiah does because it's a very different voice than almost anything else you'll hear out there about motivation. And I think it's even more powerful. Check this out. It's Nehemiah chapter 4. Starting in verse 6, before we read that, let me just give you a little background on what's happening, get you caught up. This story takes place a couple hundred years, 450 years before the time of Jesus. 
It's happening in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's not the bustling city that you might imagine in Jesus' day. At this point, 450 years earlier, it's rubble, it's in ruins, and there's people living there, and they're in danger. And so Nehemiah is this catalytic leader that's saying, let's rise up, let's rebuild Jerusalem, and especially what they're talking about in this book is they're rebuilding the walls for their safety, and he's kind of the driving force. And what we looked at last week is that there are these enemies around, specifically two guys named Sanballat and Tobiah. There are these enemies around. They live in other cities and other kingdoms right around there. And they do not want this to happen in Jerusalem. They are opposed to this. It makes them angry. And the reason is if they rebuild Jerusalem and they become a fortified, thriving city, then these other cities around are going to have to share a slice of the commerce pie in the region. The trade routes that go through, now there's more competition. And so they they are threatened by it. They do not want this to happen. They are going to oppose it at every chance they get. Okay, so here's where we're at. We're in chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Let's look at verse 6. It says this. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. All right, now this seems like a very simple verse, but I want to pause and I want to just sit in this verse together for a second because I think this might be one of the most powerful verses in this entire book. He says very simply, so we built it. People had a mind to work, so we built it. If we went earlier in Nehemiah, there's all this inspiration. There's these inspiring speeches. The emotions are, are running high, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of passion. And he's saying, look, this, I know that this is rubble, but God is at work. Let's rise up, and let's build. Let's rise up from the ashes. And you have this whole crowd that's saying, yeah, let's do it. We're going to rise up and build. But there comes a point, in, and, I, and I bet you've experienced something like this. There comes a point when you're really excited and inspired to do something new, but that inspiration starts tapering. It's no longer so exciting anymore, and all that's left is just hard work. You just got to get up and do it. If you're um, like me, this is my constant cycle of trying to get myself to work out. I start in late December, I say, this is the year. I'm, I'm doing it, okay? I, right now, I can do about four push-ups. <laughs> but come December 2016, basically the strongman champion of the world. That's what's going to happen this year, okay? I am going to be, like, people are going to stop me and say, are you part of the Mr. Universe competition? <laughs> Clearly, look at you, okay? That's what's going to happen. And so maybe you start January, you get a new gym membership. You already have three gym memberships, but you're trying a new gym, because that's the problem. So you, go to, so you get up, it's like 4.45 in the morning, but the first day you like leap out of bed, okay? Your alarm hasn't even gone off yet. You've got your playlist going. You've got Eye of the Tiger. It's the first one, all right? You've got Eye of the Tiger going, and you are, I mean, you are psyched. And you go in, you're like, I love this gym. I mean, look, everything's great. I love the paint color. I, I love what they're showing on the TVs. I love these new machines, okay? I don't even know what muscles I'm working out, but... They're just fun. I've just strapped myself in here, okay? And uh, you, you love it. Every, every part is great, and you leave, and, and that first day, you're like, I can do this. This is awesome, all right? Day two, 4.45 comes around, and you hit the snooze button three times, okay? 
But then you get out of bed and you're like, no, I really like this. I, I love what I'm doing. You're telling yourself this, okay? You go back, the machines are a little less fun, all right? You don't really like your workout mix anymore. And all of a sudden you're starting to feel sore. Day three, you have muscles you didn't know existed that are sore. Like my ear is sore. I don't even know how that happened. I pulled an ear muscle, all right? And then you have some friend that says that tells you that they like to work out. They're lying, okay? They're telling you, no, you just, man, when I work out first thing in the morning, I feel so good throughout the rest of the day. That is a lie, okay? When you work out in the morning, you're nauseous, you're sore, you're napping at your desk. Okay, here's what's happening. You start with a lot of inspiration, you're so excited, and then your inspiration plummets, and all that's left is it's just hard work. And you don't know what to do, we don't know what to do with our emotions, but we do know that what's left is we just have to build the wall. That's all there is to it. You just got to wake up in the morning and you got to put more bricks on, on the wall. You've just got to do it. All right, so imagine where they're at at this point. I love that Nehemiah is honest. He's like, they had a will to work. They built the wall. Why? They had a will to work. They knew this was hard work. So when inspiration started to dip, I think that's what he's describing here. They just kept building. Remember, these are not professional wall builders. So you can imagine, I mean, these are, are farmers and merchants and all, like, all different kinds. They've got blisters on places. They're not used to working. They're sore. It's hot. Like, this is, they're in pain, but they're pushing through, okay? They're in that part that's just a grind where it's hard. Okay, now look what happens in verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Okay, I want you to see. It's hard now. What's pushing them through? The inspiration's waning. They're exhausted. They're probably sore. This is just feels like a job. And then, remember, this is the same group, Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies that were ridiculing them. Now look what they're doing. They're planning to attack them. Not just one or two groups. This is a group of different kingdoms around that are probably typically enemies. And they're combining forces to attack them. They're not threatening to attack. They are plotting to attack. They've got maps scrolled out on a table and they're planning, okay, if we attack here, there's actually plans in place. This is not an empty threat. That means now it's dangerous. Now they know at any moment we could be building, I could be hoisting up a rock and all of a sudden I look and I hear shouting and coming over the ridge, coming down the surrounding mountains and up towards us are armies with swords that are wanting to bring violence on us. I could lose my life today at any moment. They're going to start attacking. There's fear, there is terror. Can you imagine? They're not just tired, now they're jumpy. You got someone shouts over there and they all freeze and, and I mean, their nerves are starting to run a little raw. Okay, let's see what happens next. Let's keep going. Verse 10. 
in Judah it was said. Now I want you to see this. Judah is, is the region around Jerusalem. So it, this is basically, this is what they're starting to say in Jerusalem. Like the people that are building the wall, this is what they're starting to say. It gives us a window into what they're feeling. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. All right, I want you to see how bad it's getting. This, this is their emotions now. It's starting, people are starting to murmur, man, maybe this is too much. Gosh, I, I just don't know if I can do this. Ah, man, this is, it, look at this rubble. We can't do this. We've, we've just, just now, with all this work, we finally closed the wall. But, I mean, it, it's barely, I mean, it's not very high at all. Okay, it's just half its height. We've, we don't have any fortification. Look at all this work. I'm, I'm at my breaking point. We're barely, we're barely halfway done. I mean, the hardest part is going forward. It's lift, heaving these huge boulders. Higher up we go. It's like, I, maybe we can't do it. They're starting, you see they're starting to waffle? They're teetering. They're starting it. Maybe a couple people stopped working. Man, why didn't you come to work? Did you? I'm done with that project. We can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. I've been injured and I'm, I'm, I'm weary. I'm sore. I've got things to do at home. This is, it's just not worth it. And then on top of that, man, at any moment we could be killed. I mean, this is so ironic. Here we're building a wall for our safety and it's more dangerous now. Why would we continue to do this? You see their, their mood? They're on the brink of quitting, hanging by a hair's breadth. And then this happens. 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. That's the backbreaker. I mean, they're, they are, uh, they're just about to quit. And then who comes and tells them, turn back? It's their sisters and brothers. It's their friends and their family. It's the people who should be believing in them. They're trying to push through. They're, they're just teetering and now it's their friends it's the other Jews from around in the community they're coming like man why are you doing this it's not worth it we're even telling we of all people we want to see Jerusalem rebuild it's the city of God but man maybe this just isn't the right time or maybe this is the wrong plan or, or, or maybe we should just think another tactic or maybe we just quit maybe this isn't maybe God is not in it I know that we wanted to believe that God was in it but maybe we were just wrong Man, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're exhausted, you're tired, you're, you're facing failure, you're fighting discouragement, and then the one thing that just knocks the wind out of you, I mean, it pulls the rug out from under you, not, knocks your legs out, whatever you want to say, it's when a friend says, why don't you turn back? That's when there's, it's like, man, I, I don't even Maybe they're right. I mean, that's sometimes the final straw. All right, you're Nehemiah. 
You're, the, you're, you're called by God to be this leader. You know that God has, has led you to, to push forward and you can see the discouragement. It, it's just overtaken. What do you say? How do you rally the troops? How do you turn them back around? How do you inspire? How do you motivate? I mean, all the things. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're hurting. They're threatened. And now their friends are saying, turn back. If you're Nehemiah, what can you possibly summon up into your brain to say to motivate them? What he says is nothing short of miraculous. Look at this. This is so from God. Let's see what he says, verse 13 and 14. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They're facing discouragement. And here's Nehemiah's message. Remember the Lord. This is a completely different take than modern motivational speaking. Completely different take. See, modern motivational speaking says, all right, here's, here's what's going on. Okay, in Jerusalem, look, I know that they're facing us. I know that, man, this is hard. I know that the inspiration is gone. I know the desire is gone. I know that you're threatened to be taken over. I know that even your friends are, are discouraging you right now, those voices, and I know that you've got nothing left. He, he says, but here's what you've got to do. You've got to dig down inside of you. Remind yourself, I mean, if he was a modern motivational speaker, this would be his message. You've got to dig down inside of you. Remind yourself that you can build this. You've got to remind yourself why you want. In fact, I've got a, an artist rendering of the wall that will be what it will look like when it's done. I want you to all look at this when you wake up in the morning and remind yourself why you want, why you want this done. Uh, dig down deep. Find the power inside of you. Find the, the vision that you have. Okay, um... Let me give you an example of this. I, I recently saw an event, and this was a, um, a prominent motivational speaking event. Again, there's nothing wrong with these. These can be very helpful, and, and there's a lot of practical wisdom in these. And this is what it said. This is how it described this event. It said, a live three-day event designed to help you unlock and unleash the forces inside that can help you break through any limit and create the quality of life you desire. Learn how you can surpass your own limitations to achieve your goals and improve the quality of your life. That's modern motivational speaking. In fact, I even saw in a Christian, was a Christian book, and I was talking about pushing through obstacles. And chapter one opened, and the way it described, here's how you push through your obstacles. It said, um, keep your vision right in front of you. So whatever it is that you're desiring, Hold that out in front of you. Look at it every day. Even if you have to have a physical manifestation of it, remind yourself, this is what I want. 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 Modern motivational speaking is saying, find the power in you. Find your desires. When your inspiration is waning, you've got to just start bringing those emotions. When that desire is saying, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, you have to bring those desires up and remind yourself why you want to do this again. But that's not what Nehemiah says. 
He says, here's what I know that we're on the brink of quitting, but you have to remember yourself, your power, your vision. You have to remember the Lord. Here's what's so powerful about this. If I'm thinking about my desires, my vision, if, I'm, if it's a believe in myself, then to get through discouragement, I'm spending more time thinking about myself. Nehemiah is saying, here's what you need to do. Stop thinking about yourself and think about the Lord. Stop remembering. It's not a matter of saying, man, remember, I want this. There's something more powerful than that. There may be some, something that's inspirational about that, but there's something more powerful than that. It's remember the Lord. It's fix my eyes on the Lord. See, I can find the type of encouragement that says, you know what, I want to reach my fullest capacity. Man, I believe that there's power in me and forces in me that I want to tap into and I want to reach the fullest that I possibly can. But can I share something with you? I don't want to reach the fullest that I possibly can. I want to see God do exceedingly and abundantly more than I possibly can. I want to see God surging through me. I want to see God surging through us. I want to see God do things that are so far beyond what I could possibly do. That that people that are watching are saying, that's miraculous. It's got to be him. And all of a sudden they're glorifying him and not me. I don't want to just see some inner power surging through me that's from me. I want to see God's power surging through me. And so what Nehemiah is saying is it's brilliant. It's something so more powerful than we can find in modern day motivational speaking. He's saying, don't remember you, remember the Lord. That's what's going to push you through. Now maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're fighting that discouragement. You've got that, that new job. And man, you started it and it was just like, I mean, you're like, this is the best job ever, man. I, I, this, is, this is the answer to everything I've looked for. You get there and you're like, man, I love everyone I work with. I've got the greatest boss. I love everything I do. I, I, I love how much I work. And that lasted exactly five minutes. <laughs> and you're like, this boss may be worse than my last boss. Like, what have I done? This was a huge mistake. And all of a sudden, you're like, what am I doing? And you're at that place, and then all of a sudden, you're trying to push through. You're trying to trust that this was the right decision. You're trying to get back up, and then it's a friend. Man, maybe you did make a mistake. Man, that just took the life out of you. Maybe you're a student, and you're planning a, uh, you've got a, a, a job path, a career path that you're planning, and, and you're saying, you know what, I man, I just feel like this is more than just what can I do for me? I, I'm wanting a path where I can serve others and help others. And so you feel like, man, maybe God's put that on your heart and you're excited and you're studying for it. And man, I, you're going to be a social worker or a teacher or you're going to be a missionary or you're gonna, I mean, you want to work for a church or you want to you work in this environment, but you're going to do it for the Lord. You're going to do it overtly. And, and then there's a well-meaning friend or family member that says, man, why are you going to do that? Like, I love you, man. There's no money in that. Or you're going to do that and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot or you're going to never succeed like that. Why would you do that? All of a sudden it staggers you back. Like, man, you're supposed to be the person that supports me and you're fighting discouragement. And then, and then you get into it and you're like, this is hard. Maybe they were right. Maybe you've started a new season. You've got a new personal goal. Maybe it's a new spiritual goal. You're trying to do the right thing. Man, it's hard to live God's way. 
And maybe it's another person that you looked at and you thought that they were a good person or a Christian person. You're like, man, you're being a little extreme, man. You could just cut that corner a little bit. It doesn't have to be that extreme. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa. And you're discouraged. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. He's saying something profound. Remember the Lord. How do you do that? What does that mean, remember the Lord? Let's talk about it in three ways. The first one I want to remind you of. Remember the Lord. Remember his calling. See, discouragement can be an unbelievably powerful tool that God uses in your life. If you're in discouragement, stop for a second and realize God may be using this for you. Because it's in seasons of discouragement that it refines our sense of calling. There's a, there's a question we ask when we're discouraged. We say, man, do I really want to do this? Is this worth it, all this pain? You know, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. I, I look at that goal, and, and modern motivational speaking would say, man, you know what you need to do? Just fix your eyes on the goal and summon the desires to continue. The answer to that question, do I really want to do this, is summon back the desires to say, yes, I do want to do this. But what happens when you look at the goal, and you're like, it's not worth it. I, don't, I, I just don't think it's worth it. See, when you remember the Lord you're realizing the question is, do I really want to do this? That's not the right question. Does God want me to do this? Remember your calling. See, discouragement is so helpful because it refines, is this something I wanted and just called it God's calling? Or is it something that God wanted? Because discouragement shaves off, because when I'm discouraged, I'm like, I don't want this anymore. And I'm, all that's left is, all right, if I'm honest with myself, all self-deception away was this God's because that's all I've, the only reason I would move forward. See, God uses discouragement to refine our sense of calling because sometimes here's what we do. What we do sometimes in our life is we write the marching orders and we forge the commander's name on it. We write our own marching orders, say, we're going to attack, that's what I'm going to do. And then I forge God's name on it and say, see, this was God's plan. Sometimes I can deceive myself in doing what I want and calling it God's calling. But discouragement, man, that is so key. He will allow you to get to a place where you have to stop and be brutally honest with yourself. Was this really me or was this God? See, when in moments of discouragement, the remembering your calling is reminding yourself there's a better question. It's not, do I want this? Do I want this or do I want that? Do I want to keep going and miss the, do I really want it that bad? That's the wrong line of questioning. The right questioning is, is this what God wants? Here's the second thing. Remember your calling, but the second thing is, remember God's promises. Remember his promises. This is so critical in seasons of, of discouragement. Man, when you're struggling with discouragement, here's one of the questions in discouragement we start to ask, and this is why we're discouraged. This is why we're questioning. We're saying, can I do this? Motivational speaking will tell you, you can. You've got it in you. There's power in there, man. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Find and unlock that inner power and let it loose. Man, can I do this? But man, when you remember his promises, you realize that's not the right question. Can he do this? 
when I remember his promises, it's not about me, it's about him. God, if this is what you're wanting me to do, I need to remember your promises. He will sometimes bring us to this place where all that we have, don't you know he's going to do this? He's going to bring you to a place where all you have is faith that he is capable. How could we possibly have a relationship with God if he never brings us to that place where all we have are his promises? How could we have a relationship with him? He knows that. How could I have a relationship with God if I never really need him? I can do it. I, I, the, the equivalent is saying, look in the mirror. You discouraged, say, look, I'm great and I'm awesome. But here's what Nehemiah says, remember the Lord for he is great and awesome. Are you discouraged? Man, today you've got to remember, dig in and remember the Lord. Remember what he promised. He says, I am able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or imagine. He's saying, I, I am, he's saying, man, in the midst of your discouragement, are you feeling like you're alone? He's saying, I promised I will never leave you. I'm walking with you. This is safely in my hands. He's saying, come to me. He's saying, bring these burdens. Instead of saying, yes, I can shoulder these burdens. He's saying, cast your burdens at my feet. I can handle it. Remember the Lord. Remember his promises that he is all powerful and he's for you. He says, I, I make beauty from ashes. Have you made a mess? He's saying, don't be discouraged. It's not too far gone for me to make beauty out of it. He says, are, are, you, are you discouraged right now? He says, you feel like you've made a mistake and you feel like you have to crawl your way back to God? He says, no, I've forgiven you. I've removed all your sins as far as the east is from the west. He says, he does not treat us like our sins deserve. You remember his promises that he's right there with you. He is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, who could be against us? He is with you. He says, remember his promises. And he uses discouragement so strategically to bring us to that place where all we have is him. And here's the third thing. Remember his calling, remember his promises, and remember his suffering. When we're discouraged, sometimes we ask this question. Why am I doing this? Why, why, God? Or maybe we're actually asking, I got the first two. This is your calling. Your promise to be with me. Why? Why would you make me walk through this? Or God, why would I? And we remember his suffering. Because he had to clench his teeth and hold himself to the stake while they lashed open his back. And at any moment, he could have made those chains disintegrate but he held himself there because he was nailed to the cross with nails spikes driven through his wrists driven through the bones and his ankles pinned back against the cross hoisted up and hung there and he pulled against the weight of the spikes dragged himself up with a back that's been filleted open dragging himself up this rugged cross to get a breath and pull himself back down. And they mocked him and they said, if you can, you can pull yourself off the cross, you can do that. I, I thought you could work miracles. 
And the reality is he could. Those spikes were not holding him to the cross. He could have commanded armies of angels to come down and just wipe out the whole scene. Immediately heal his own wounds. But he hung there on the cross, suffering, pushing through. Why did he do it? He had you in mind. Christian, remember his suffering. Are you discouraged? Are you barely making it through? Can I read you what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all our brothers and sisters for, through the generations who have gone on before you and walked the same walk you are. So they're looking down over heaven, this cloud of witnesses. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking where? Does it say looking inside? Looking to your, the, the capabilities you have? Looking at your power? Looking at your desires? Looking to unleash power from within you? He says, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christian, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember his calling on your life and thank him that he's called you to such a great race. He's got something he's planning on doing through you that no one will know. You may not even fully appreciate. You won't fully appreciate till you're standing in his presence. He's marked out this race. Now run it with everything you've got. Remember his calling. Remember his promises that he's running with you. And remember his suffering. Remember that he too walked up a mountain alone. He walked up a mountain called Calvary carrying, bleeding, dying every step of the way up in agony, carrying a cross, and he clenched his teeth and kept walking one step after the next step, breathing one breath after the next breath, and he kept going every step of the way, and he did it for you. Why are you doing this? You're doing it for him. Are you discouraged today? the most powerful thing you could unleash into your life is remember the Lord. If you're here and you're saying, look, I, if I'm honest uh, with you today, I'm here and um, I'm really struggling because I'm I, uh, not sure I've ever fully appreciated that Jesus did that for me. My relationship with God is, is kind of just built on his expectations for me and all the things I'm messing up and I'm doing wrong and I realized how much he did for me. He died on a cross and he had me in mind and I'm still trying to grasp what that means. See, here's what that means. That means God counted that as payment for all your sins, past, present, and future. That means he, he's saying you're forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty once and for all. And he's saying, don't you see? God is saying, I love you calling you home. I want to take your burdens. If that's you, can you just come to Jesus today? 
He walked up a mountain and died an agonizing death, the God of the universe in the flesh for you. He's calling you to himself and he's offering you forgiveness. You just have to accept it. If that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer this morning. If you want to accept his forgiveness, would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity to just simply accept that right there in your seats between you and God. If that's you, then just pray the simple prayer right there. This is a moment between you and God. Just say, God, thank you for the great lengths you went to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for suffering that agony to pay for my sins. And I know that it's on the basis of your death and resurrection, Jesus, that I'm going to live in heaven. And now I'm going to climb whatever mountain you call me to climb, and I'm going to do it for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.